Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to Legend Rouge Cycling Podcast for Pace Vasco Stage 4. We had another GC filled stage. 176 Ks from Santurzi to Santurzi. They did a loop. This is basically just finishing in the north of Bilbao, near the port area. And we have one of the most technical descents in pro cycling into the finish, although it's preceded by a much more difficult climb than the other day to La Asturiana. 4Ks, 9%, levels off a bit. Then a step descent down. Very technical. Goat track stuff. And Aaron Brew on this stage before Benji, your man. How did you rate his chances for today? To be honest, I, I looked at the parkour yesterday in the podcast and I saw those first four kilometers of the final climb, which were steep. And I expected a land attack. And I was like, maybe they'll respond to the land attack as they did in fewer days, in like the previous days where we saw the peloton kind of like crawl it back. But hey, spoilers, we might have had a bit more than a land attack on today's stage. So with that scenario considered, Aramburu probably wouldn't be fighting with the GC riders, but then again, he's clearly not helping Moss too well, is he? No, I mean, Movistar have been a little bit disappointing, I must say. Um, they did try some stuff with Guerrero uh, in the stage. Very odd. I can't really figure out what's going on. There was a, a breakaway with Tess Fazion in it. I thought mm, maybe he'd try to win this from a sprint if it all came back together and he survived the climb well, but he got in the break with... Uh, Jossom, Han van Hoeker, Kaithedo, and Baronetcher once again going for <laughs> KOM points. So, break was pretty, it was managed pretty well, to be honest. Um, yeah, it didn't have too much of a chance. And all the run ins to these little climbs, teams are doing a lead out anyway, like Jayco, like Ineos, even if yeah. they aren't bringing back to break deliberately, they are in effect keeping it under control. And it's not like it's like the major climbs that precede this, uh, this climb at the end, but they're a bit like tricky. They want to be in a good position going into it. So Plap was the one doing that for Ineos at one of the climbs today with like 40, 50 kilometers to go. But we all knew the action would occur towards the end, towards that final climb. But um, some riders, unfortunately, don't make that final climb. We had crashes and there was a crash, including nine riders, which included Lehmreise. But then someone noted that there was a second set of Velo bike there. No clue if that's related to the other piece of news that Rohan Dennis is out of this race due to a crash. Was that the same crash, a different crash? I actually don't know, but he's abandoning the race. And I'd argue that's still a hit for Jumbo Visma. He hasn't been the all-out god in the last three days. I think Walter was strong yesterday. Dennis was solid in the lead-out for Vingega in stage one for the intermediate sprint. But outside of that, not too much notable when it comes to the Jumbo Visma team. Too much either throughout those three days. and. Then I look at stage six, which is that like brutal stage where you've got mountains throughout. And I'm like, well, medium mountains throughout, I would say. And I'm like, you kind of need a team to neutralize whatever's going to happen there because so many people are going to try and get in the break that day. Dennis wasn't going to be the all out guy that could keep it all together, but he could have helped a bit. So I still think this hurt their team a bit for that stage, no? 
yeah, they're already, you know, who knows how lame Riser will be after the crash too. The team wasn't already looking too crash hot, it must be said. Despite Jonas' great legs, he was having to position, position himself on a lot of the other stages. Uh, apart from Valtteri yesterday, he was very, very good. But the stage before, it was all Vingegaard having to do it himself. So this doesn't help. And we get toward the, the breakaway. I mean, no one knows where the intermediate sprints are in this race. Like, I feel sorry for the commentators because <laughs> there's no markings. There's no one kilometer to go on the road from what I can see. I also not convinced that this was where it said it was on the profile either. I kept expecting like, here it is, here it is. And sometimes they don't show the intermediate sprint. Anyway, the break is, it's sort of dangling there and no one wants to bring it back. Yumbo don't have the riders up front to bring it back. And I'm thinking, are these three guys just going to roll over? And it's Guerrero going for the bonus seconds. And I thought, is he going, like we said the other day, that Movistar are trying to keep three guys close in GC, Guerrero, Aaron Baru, and Mars, and he's going to take three seconds back for himself, maybe, or is he just taking the seconds away because Mars doesn't want to sprint? But he jumps, he's followed by Izaguirre and Vingegaard, and Vingegaard cleans up Izaguirre in the sprint, and I think Guerrero might have taken one second. He ends up losing three and a half minutes this stage, so... Jesus! Yeah, <laughs> Movistar, I wouldn't say, have played a blinder so far in this race. But Vingard's sprint, Benji, we're so used to seeing him get cleaned up by Pog that we forget, like, he has, and he showed yesterday, he, he isn't Lander. Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> you're going a bit further into the story there already, but spoilers. <laughs> when it comes yeah. to Jonas Vingard, he... He's so used, we're so used, used to seeing him against Pogacar in those final sprints at the Tour de France, and we don't see him that often in sprints in one-week races, but his speed is actually good enough to beat these second-tier GC riders, and I think he said in an interview once that he actually thinks the sprint is pretty good, but that he still looks at the Pogacar and the Roglicers of the world to be ahead of him when it comes to those sprints. But hey, in a couple of years, that might change. You don't know that. Pogacar's sprint got better over the years as well, and Remco's definitely got better. Now, yeah. he, now that he has a metal ear sprint in his pocket, but um, I would argue that what Guerrero potentially tried doing was stealing the seconds from ahead of them for Mas is potentially something I would see as an option there. But the issue as well is because he makes that move, he's indirectly getting the breakaway that was ahead. I do think that break would have been caught regardless of Guerrero going for it or not, because other people would have sprinted. So I don't know, maybe it affected the outcome, maybe him sprinting for it, that reverse lead-out that didn't, wasn't really a reverse lead-out, just for stealing seconds, actually caused the peloton to take it, but in the end, Vingegaard takes three seconds, he's a gear A2 like you mentioned there, and the next obstacle in the race, the climb. We're getting towards that climb, and the first four kilometers of this climb is, are the steep, so we're expecting action there, but who has the team to do it? Yumbo doesn't have the team to really launch Vingegaard anymore at this point, because two riders are crashed, one is out, and when it comes to other teams, Ineos spend a bit because they spend a lot in like trying to keep themselves in position. Movistar isn't looking too powerful, mainly because of the fact that Aramburu, Guerrero and Mas don't really seem to do leadouts for each other on climbs. So it's not like I was expecting Mas to get launched by Aramburu or anyone else here. So Groshan has crashed for McNulty. Yeah, exactly. Another example. And the team that came to the fore was uh, 
the writers in Thing, but not in Thing, right? <laughs> well, yeah, we had Chavez pacing the start of the... And listen, I don't want to... You can't criticize teams for trying just because yeah. it doesn't work one time. That's wrong. And teams sometimes do, like, Lander got criticized, you know, the meme of Lander looking at the camera when they tried on Gliero Col de la Lowe's. Well, they had to try for him to move up. And maybe he could have been better that day. But looking at EF here, in what world is it the best idea for them to do a one, two, three, four full gas lead out on a steep climb based on the evidence we have of Carapaz's shape compared to Lander? Compared to Vingegaard at the moment, on steep climbs, why is doing a, a hard lead-up, blowing your team apart for Uran and Carapaz, the best option? And it yeah. isn't. It, it isn't. <laughs> we said it, I think I said it yesterday. Wait for the shallow bit, keep numbers, if you saw the Aaron Baru stage win, and then that's where El Hagua can attack. Exactly. And not only El Hagwar, but if you get your numbers, you can roll attacks on that flatter part because you know these other teams have limited domestiques at this point, and they will even reduce even more on the steep section. It's all about trying to keep yourself safe and going on the further sectors on the, uh, on the somewhat false flat uphill after the steep section. And they don't do that. They come to the forward, Chavez doing the first pull with Carapaz on the wheel, and then it seemed like... I don't know who was the third rider. I know Ural Old was there. Christian Iking then came up oh, okay. and pulled, and then Chavez lost his wheel, left yeah. a gap, and Carapaz was furious and shook his head at him, like, "Bro, what? You just left the gap." And he should have let Old Christian Iking go. Then he yeah. just followed him, and I was like, "This is going to end in tears, like in GP in Durain. And then Uran. on the weekend, Uran just hops past. There's a bit of a. It looked like an attack because the tempo had stalked a bit and Rand was a bit of an attack, it seemed like, but everybody's in his wheel. And then he just keeps on pacing. And when he goes off the front, we see, we see Karapaz making his actual move. And Karapaz's move is the kind of move where it's not accelerative enough to actually make a gap. So he's basically attacking with Vingegaard just following his wheel. And he's doing a lean out for Jonas, right? Accidentally? Um, Vingegaard would have been loving this because <laughs> he doesn't have the team to pace the climb himself like full gas like this, and EF played Chavez, Odd Christian Iking, Uran ups the pace, then Carapaz, the whole time he's in the wheel, and then Carapaz just blows up, loses three and a half minutes, and Chavez loses. He only lost 46 seconds. That's pretty good from given where he was on that climb. And then Vingegaard just steps off them, like, well, the best form of defense is attack, particularly when we're at the steepest part of the race. So he's sub 60 kilos probably he has the best legs here this is the place to go and he gets a huge gap felix goal can't respond like he tries to he looks the best the asia 2r rider and lander once again is just out of position or can't initially respond to vingegaard's surge he eventually bridges over to vingegaard still on the steep section but everyone else is gone like I think it was Izagira, Gol, Godu, Igita, and maybe Math. Yep. Were formed a group of on 14, 15 seconds initially, but they were all cooked. And Vingegaard was just in full gas pace mode. Exactly. So he's got that. Landos bridged up. So they're now with two, and 
they're flying it. They're flying it. It's when the gap is significantly higher. By the time they reach the top, it's like 28 seconds and 29 seconds when they reach the top of this climb. And we see in the second group that it's not just those five riders. There's some riders coming back where, first of all, Nox Bridge is over. And then a group comes back with a few more quick step riders with the likes of Buchmann and so forth. So Higita also has a teammate in this group now. And a bunch of like lone riders on other teams that are also McNulty. in that group, like Sean Poussin, McNulty, uh, Victor Langelotti. We got to yep. mention the Monaco guy because he's actually pretty good these last few weeks. And I'm thinking this first part of the descent is too steep, is too technical to actually use a team, right? That's where you just have to like fly through as much as possible because you have a team there like in group two, that's not going to matter, eh? If the first two corner as well as they can and the second group, the first guy corners as well as they can, then the gap is going to be stagnated for now, right? Yeah, exactly. So like Vingegaard paces the whole shallow section of the uphill. Lander refuses to relay. The second they get over the top, Lander's to the fore. He's pacing and they lose. They had 30 seconds at the top, 28 seconds. They lose no time on the, the descending parts of this finish. Yeah which is 15 case to the finish. In fact, Lander even takes three, four seconds back in the last part of this descent, which there's two parts of it. The first part is extremely slow, narrow, and is like, like they don't allow trucks on it. And it's, you know, I don't even think it's two feet pandas wide. It's maybe <laughs> three finger guards wide. And it's like a corrugated cement surface. They're not taking the group behind, taking time back. In the second part of the descent, they could have, but Lander put on an exhibition. He put Vingegaard on a few gaps. Now, he was pushing. I, I don't think Lander was hanging around either. I think he was trying to induce a mistake from Vingegaard or at least put him under pressure. Um, and I think, like, both of them are good descenders, but Lander just an outstanding descent. And that was still a, that was a smooth tarmac surface, thankfully. And still the group now, Catania pacing full gas for the Schmidt sprint win. Didn't take any time there, but it's all about the last four Ks where we have a little like highway uphills, um, which these drags where they're being in the group is hugely advantageous in the last five kilometers. And Lander's not really contributing, Benji, uh, which yep. I guess makes sense. It's up, Jonas is leading him by at this point eight seconds on GC. He's got a gamble if he wants any chance to win this stage. Exactly, and Landa did contribute in that descent part, like you mentioned, but once it got to the flat, especially the last two kilometers, Landa was in the wheel, and Vingegaard slowly but surely was like, oh shit, he's not going to take over anymore, kept looking over his shoulder as the group behind actually got closer and closer, because Catania and Nox are working in that group for the Schmidtsprint, like you said, but a question there. Bukuman is there with Higita. Bukuman once <laughs> again doesn't ride. <laughs> Worst yeah, teammate? <laughs> I mean, Catania was doing a decent enough job. I mean, the same could be said for Simon Yates, for Sobrero, who came second yeah. in the group sprint, um, looking through the other teams to see who had multiple riders. But yeah, it's... <laughs> yeah, that just is what it is. Aguita actually didn't end up being too good in the sprint. Um, right. But he was good on the climb, actually. But yeah, it's Vingegaard leading Lander out. We think, could this be the day? Lander wins a... Has he ever won? He has won a Basque Country stage before. He hasn't won a World Tour race for five years. Ooh. Last time was in 2018, a Tirreno stage. He beat Micah and Bennett in an uphill sprint. I think it was wow. Sassateto. 
Um, Good on the wop, wop bombs <laughs> there. And then his Basque, Pace Vasco stage when he beat Wilco uphill for shame um, by one second. This is a chance. Like, Vingegaard's got a good sprint, but he's been pulling the whole time. And Landa messes up this finish pretty badly. <laughs> There's a left-hand bend at about 200, 175 to go. Vingegaard keeps the pace high, and he takes first wheel through the corner. He goes all the way. He, usually, he goes outside, apex outside, as you would expect on this corner. He has no obligation to finish the corner and leave a huge gap open yep. to the barrier. Lander seems surprised by this because he tries to shoot immediately up the outside and there's no space. And then Vingard opens his sprint up and like he's sprinting faster than Lander. The only way Lander could have won this stage, perhaps, is a Cone Bowman Giro. <laughs> he had to dive bomb the corner. He had to dive bomb inside Vingard, break check him off, and then win the sprint. Like Camner did to um Juanpe in the Etna finish as well. And he didn't do that and he is kind of mad at himself, I think. Yeah, and we're looking at the sprint behind because like two seconds behind these riders, the group behind is sprinting with Schmidt destroying everybody in the sprint. I think uh, when it comes to the second spot, there's Sobrero, like you mentioned, in that group ahead of McNulty. So that is the top five. Vingegaard, Landa, Schmidt, Sobrero, McNulty. And then we get uh, the first EF rider, right? Which is not Carapaz because Carapaz is a total of... Three, three and a half mins back. Well, that backfired, didn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I don't really, like, would your plan be with Uran and Carapaz in their current shape to 1-2 Vingegaard on a 13% gradient? No, well, well, no, 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 it, it would be <laughs> on the- And Uran's a good descender. Exactly, it would be on the, on the flatter part because you want Uran yeah. as close as possible for the descent to come and you don't want him to drop early by attacking early as well. So it's kind of like, they played it on the wrong place, and they also, in my opinion, focused a bit too much on Carapaz because I did feel like Uran was pacing for Carapaz for a bit on the climb, and nah, eventually Uran's attacked. the one finishing sixth. I think that was Uran attacking, but it just didn't look that. <laughs> no, but no, they're on a steep gradient. There's not, and Vingegaard's yeah. just in the wheel reacting. I think it was a genuine attack. I just, okay. Yeah, just frankly terrible tactics. Um, and they got embarrassed like they did last weekend at Indorain. There's nothing more to say about that. Um, and they've thrown two guys even further out of GC than they needed to be. Particularly Chavez is in good enough shape. He could have been in G1 today. Uh, sorry, the Schmidt group. Chavez has good enough legs that he did not need to lose 46 seconds today. And yep. he would have been on a minute or whatever. But yeah, revised GC, Vingegaard is now 12 seconds out of Landis. So those three seconds are 25% of his, they took it the intermediate, or a decent part of his buffer. Gudu is on 31 seconds. Sobrero fourth, 33, same time as Izaguirre. Let me have a look. There's no changes in the top seven in terms of positions. No. Aaron Brew loses 10 spots. Bagioli loses wow. 10 spots. He's, um, he's just speaking for stage six, my man. Come on, he's doing this on purpose to give the others a chance. That's what Amburu is like, a big heart, but no, 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 no. He, he also didn't really do much for Moss, from what I could tell. Then again, I didn't see Moss too much, even though it felt like on the climb, he was kind of always in the background. And I don't know if Aramburu actually worked for him, but I would, I would enjoy Aramburu actually folding into a domestique role for once this week, because it's getting a bit embarrassing to support this guy. 
Jeez. <laughs> Danny Martinez loses another 46 seconds. So Ineos are kind of, they don't look like they have anyone on for top 10 in GC at this race. It's really looking like, well, Jayco have two within 40 seconds, Sabrera and Yates, who have been conspicuously hiding themselves. But the team is low-key strong with Harper as well. He could be lethal on the last stage. They're the only team, am I right in saying, with two riders in the top 10 in GC, and Lander is by far the closest. So yeah, I think Vingegaard's plan today was to create a bigger gap to the other guys, which he did by 15 or so seconds. And like we think, we keep saying, oh, stage six raid, stage six raid. Vingegaard's going to be under pressure. And he might be, like Remco was last year. And his team is vulnerable. But third is on 31 seconds. Tenth, no, ninth is on 39 seconds. I guarantee you when it comes to stage uh, six, guys will be defending fifth and fourth on their GC positions and it will benefit Vingegaard uh, in part. So, yeah, but he looks good, Vingegaard. Yep. Even with that long climbs, he looks, he looks good. It's uh, unfortunate. Yeah, because like we're looking forward to the stage six, but the setup in GC is slowly but surely falling into a way where the setup for stage six might not be optimal to have GC riders go for long. So I hope it still changes around in the coming days. There's still terrain tomorrow where am I? I don't know. I don't know if I can call tomorrow terrain where GC can sparkle up a lot. Yeah, it can. <laughs> tomorrow like is stage hard. again. Tomorrow is harder than. It's harder than yesterday. It's a mural stage, no? Again? I mean, this is, let's get into it. Amorbieta Amor Echano, they do a loop again and finish 166 kilometers. And it is Rampas Inhumanas on the menu all day. We have at the start a few longer climbs 4K 6%, 4.5K 7.7%. But that includes the start of the Perezzi climb is 1.4Ks at 12%. And then there's just a 1K 10% climb straight afterwards. There's then a staggered climb. I can't pronounce that one. That's, that's beyond even me. And then they have the intermediate <laughs> sprint at Amorebieta. Amor I'm not sure if it's... Uh, Amorebieta is different to Amorebieta Echano. I've just learned. So that's not the finish line. And that's after a few climbs. And then they have three back-to-back, -back, 900 meters, 9%, 600 meters, 9.6%, and one kilometer, 7%, and the first 400 meters are over 10%, and that's about 4.5Ks from the finish, the crest. So I think there's going to be GC action again. Like, yeah. even on anywhere, really, I think there's just going to be GC action, and I think Lander and Vingegaard are going to, probably go clear again tomorrow i also believe gc action will happen but i kind of fear that gc's folded in a way where i don't necessarily see an option for like a secondary gc rider to go from long you know the gaps in gc are still not gigantic though we're talking about a minute so that's what makes me feel a bit more happy about that but the thing is will a buchmann go early on a stage like this no no not really eh and mcnulty's the one but he might be yeah, saving it. Exactly. He doesn't have a teammate close to him, so he's kind yeah. of throwing it all on the line if he does it. So that's the fear that I have when it comes to this stage. And that's why a scenario that could also happen is that we've got 
yesterday's scenario stage where they go get over these climbs and we're basically fighting on the last three hills which would be really annoying and i hope it doesn't happen so i'm hoping we see attacks with 30k to go 35k to go on that un unpronounceable climb if there was a better gc setup i'd expect the attacks with probably not with 70k to go on that 11 percent um 1.4 70 kilometers in a gc stage is is quite early for a stage that doesn't have Pugacha in it is it Alanda would not do that, I think. If I was McNulty, I would go on the Bellaringa, Bellarinaga climb, 2.1k, 6.6%. That's the perfect gradient for him. That yeah. then gives him another little climb, punchy one afterwards, before a descent where he can take three bonus seconds at the intermediate. He can then monster the false flat uphill valley and say it is really reduced before and there's the domestiques are thin on the ground, then it could be you know, him pulling against Chavez or or somebody, and he can really take time in that valley. That should be a positive thing for him. And then positioning, I think, is his maybe his problem into the base of the climb. So then entering the last three solo would be a huge advantage, and he can ride his own pace. So McNulty's the one I'd be looking at. Maybe he's joined by somebody like a Carapaz. I don't know. But... You're right. You need the team like Groshart and the Formula and he or she to set it up uh, for you if that is your your plan. But based on how this race is going, I think there will be more GC action and I think Fingergaard wins his third stage in a row, Benji. That's very much possible. And the thing is, he has Walter now as his prominent domestique on this type of terrain, I would say. I'd expect a Norman to be used earlier on to kind of like try and control a group or something like that, but he's not going to be there when shit hits the fan. And I think for Vingega, attack might be his best defense when the hills really start following up and we enter the last 35 kilometers. And then he will get people with him that will want to ride because Landa will want to secure a second if he's with him. And if anybody else is in there, they want to move up and will ride with him. So I see that happening. I see a potential scenario where Vingega wins once again three days in a row, but it's really boring to repeat exactly your words. So I'm going to say a completely different rider. I'm going to go for... I don't fucking know who can win this outside of Vingega. Let's say... Skelmose. <laughs> yeah, Skelmose looks really good. He was with McNulty when they were trying to counter on the shallower part. He's also got a sprint that he can beat Vingega in a sprint, that's for sure. So... It's also descending is really important, as we've seen, and Lander and Vingegaard, I think, are well above average descenders. So that was Pays Vasco. Otherwise, there was the Circuit des Ardennes, which is, I wouldn't normally mention a 2.2, but it's a <laughs> under 23, it's not an under 23 race, but a lot of the under 23 riders do it from like Hagen's Berman Axion, the top teams. They have a ridiculous team here with um, Morgado, who is the one, Garrison. Uh, Jan Christen, who is, I think, both Morgado and Christen are supposed to be going to uh, UAE Team Emirates. But the first stage was won by Axel Laurence. And I'm just thinking, I think you mentioned this before, Benji, why this guy's won a pro race. I'm not criticizing Laurence, to be clear here. I'm not criticizing him. He's won a stage at Croatia race last year. He came second in Britannia Classic, yep. which is a world tour one-day race. I know it's not Jan Vevelhem. He got beaten only by Wout van Aert. It's a 200 and... How long? It's a 256k hilly classic, yep. and he came second. And he's riding the Circuit, Circuit des Ardennes against 
guys on U23 dev teams. Like, I don't... What's going on? Yeah, like, like his rider is decently proper enough to be in World Tour races with World Tour teams. That's 100%. This above guy can average ride... World Tour rider. Exactly. This, this guy can win a, an uphill sprint in, in a Romandy, whatever, something like that. I think that's possible. He can compete in those uphill sprints, I would say. He could have won the scaling stage. He could have, 100%. He could have won races here. And if we look at that kind of rider, he's in their dev team because, well, they're kind of cheating between brackets. It's legal, so it's not really cheating, but they're, they're trying to get more people than their World Tour roster can allow by putting them in the U23 team and therefore have an expanded roster. Now, it's unfortunate because not only does it send him to races that he probably is too, too good for, for the secret as an end, but it also takes away opportunities from riders like Henry Ulrich, for example. Dude is second in this. He's literally working for, for Laurence in this race. He l probably let out him for, for this finish. And the thing with Ulrich is he got third, I think, in, in the uh, Hendrevelgem U23 as well. He's a really talented guy, German rider. I've been following him for a few years. And he just did his police academy, German police academy over the, over the winter. So therefore started the year late. And he's still so bloody good already from, from the second that the season kicks off. So I'm expecting this guy to keep progressing. And it wouldn't shock me if this guy's on, on Walter Alperson in the coming years, just as much as Laurence is, for example. Because while Laurence beat everybody, he beat everybody else except for Laurence. So yeah, I'm looking forward to see what he does as well. Uh, Laurence does have a contract, it must be said, for next year with Alperson de Koenig. I don't know how... It, because he rode for B&B, which is a pro Conti team, and then they folded, and that was his neo-pro contract, they didn't have to give him the two and a half year or whatever it is minimum World Tour contract. So for a guy who, I don't know who was leaking it last year, it's, it's one of two things. Either, because remember, when B&B folded, apparently every World Tour team wanted to give Axel Laurence a million euros. And I was like, Okay, he's good, but there's a little bit too much hype here. Quick step and tried. Then, pardon? Quick step tried. How they try? They, they tried getting Laurence. I, I don't know the details, but I, I am very certain that they tried getting Laurence. Well, they mustn't have been very good at trying because he's <laughs> riding for a Conti dev team at Circuit de Zardens. So whoever's their scouting or recruitment person, maybe they don't know how to send an email properly or... But yeah, um, I guess like they tried to sign climbing support for Remco. Um, but anyway, yeah, there was all that hype. And then he goes to the dev team. I'm thinking, well, now it's swung too far the other way. Like, really? He's French? 21? Second Britannia Classic? And, and Cofidis? Or age, like, he's better than what? 25 guys on age 2 are? <laughs> I'm not joking. Probably. It's it's actually shocking in but terms probably. of capability to win a and even, dot pro stage. He's better than twenty riders of Alperson, I would say. It's crazy. The B and B fallout. It's just like with Gazprom. Piccolo was available, and I was like, "Come on, this is a gift." He had to go to Androni for three months. Then EF credit to them picked him up. He scored like seven hundred UCI points. The B and B fallout. Nick Schultz. Second in a TDF stage is on a one year at Israel and Laurence on a dev team. It's like, 
teams just get so fixed in they have their what they were doing and listen i understand there's no roster spots you've got contracts done you don't have the money i understand that but just surprising to me uh anyway that was just a note on circuitous ardennes if morgado wins by 30 seconds we'll mention it in the, another day uh but that's all from us today pays vasco big stage tomorrow and we'll have the recap of it then till then ciao